Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. Today, we are especially excited to have Aaron Schmidt, Chief Strategy and Client Service Officer at Branded Entertainment Network. Aaron, thanks so much for coming. Thank you guys for having me. We're really excited. This has been a pod I personally have been looking forward to for a while. So thank you for making the time. When I have folks on, I like them to sort of do a little bit, you know, on their, how they get where they are. And so I'd love to get your perspective on your journey to this particular role. Well, it's a fun one for me at the very least. My mom is actually a pioneer in product placement. She started doing product placement about a year after I was born. This is literally a better answer than I possibly could have imagined. We're in good shape. The rest of the pod's going to be easy. It's been an amazing journey. Yeah. So I went to school to be a teacher and my senior year, I was like, can't do it. So I started working for the company she worked for. We sold to Ben about five years ago. They moved me to New York. I got to open our New York office, moved back here and have been elevated. My career has just skyrocketed from there. And I now run all of our product placement division from sales to client service, to execution, to research and insights. So now, you know, I don't want to ask dates or ages or anything. I don't want to get into any of that. So without, you know, disclosing personal data, what was your mom involved in that was sort of the formative, must have been one of the formative, you know, periods of this business, right? I mean, it, yeah. it's not exactly been around 150 years. No, it, it hasn't. And it was funny, Norm Marshall, who owned the company that we worked for before it was sold to Ben, he saw some guys delivering beer on set one day and he's like, this is, there's something here. And so he signed Jeep as his very first client and then was able to get Chevrolet like probably two years after that. And so my mom started working for him. She had a strong history in auto and transportation. She used to work for the company that did all the honey wagons on sets. And so he brought her in to help help him out and kind of the rest is history. So that was, you know, in the early 80s. He started wow. in 1978. She started working for him in 1984. Wow. Because I, I think folks that have sort of a legacy of people in and around the business have such a fascinating perspective. And by the business, I mean, you know, marketing, advertising writ large. And, and I, I always enjoy kind of hearing how people get inspired to sort of continue on. I know my son, who's a college sophomore, right on schedule there, Jason, what are we in the fourth minute? Time for me to mention a kid. And uh, he is in the process of thinking about, oh, wow, I actually have to get a job in, you know, uh, two years. And in, in his mind, I think on the list is sort of this, well, my dad does something that, I don't know, might have something in it. And so it, it is especially top of mind. So I love that. When did you know, like, teaching went out the window? Was there like a particular tipping point? Uh, I was student teaching for a third grade classroom and my t the teacher was the head of the union for LAUSD and he was just a bitter, angry human. And I was like, I just don't think this is for me. I'm too happy. Like, I'm just like a, a ray of sunshine. Fortunately, no one in marketing has ever been bitter. So uh, you've managed to avoid that completely. You know, the business you guys are in is one that requires the making of stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet... We have, by my calculation, for the past 300 million days, been stuck in a different kind of situation. What has that been like? What kind of challenge has that been for the organization? You know, it's amazing because we, we kind of cover off on all entertainment. So influencer, music, and obviously scripted and unscripted television, but how the entertainment community is able to adapt. So, you know, a lot of day part 
partners started doing their programming from home. We had some uh, love in the time of Corona and some unscripted series that were all shot from people's homes. So we were able to find opportunities. But I think for us, it was actually working with writers during this time who were using their creative juices. And now we're at finally at that stage where we're going to see more productions going to camera in October than we've mm. ever seen in our lifetimes. And yeah. that creative time, that time to be creative is going to be so instrumental. And for us as consumers and viewers and hoarders of content will be amazing in the next couple of years. Have, have you seen or heard, or is there sort of, you know, whispers in the background that there has been an explosion of creativity around, you know, creators and writers being trapped in various places and coming up with, with new things. I mean, surely there must be some pent up amount of new creations. There is a pent up amount of new creations. We actually have a running list of the both comedic and dramatic tones of the COVID storyline, the social justice Mm -hmm. storyline. It'll be interesting because, you know, art imitates life in so many ways. And we are going to document this time. It's obviously going to be in our memories forever, but we will document it through content that will be watched for years to come, which will be really interesting. Yeah. You know, obviously your kind of value proposition is inherently connected to culture. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you try to stay connected to that. And this is going to sound uber 50 year old. So I apologize in advance, but like on top of what is culturally relevant, because especially now the pace at which something is in or out or on its way to being in or on its way to being out seems to go, you know, literally hourly. How do you all manage that? Well, that's kind of what we call the cyborg approach. So it takes a human piece of it and a technology piece of it. Mm. I am surrounded by incredible humans who have their pulse on what is hot, what will be hot. I am a little bit out of that realm, but I rely a lot on them to guide that direction. But also our AI does an incredible job of kind of predicting the trends of what's going to happen moving forward. So we use the human element and the technology element to really stay on top of what's going on. That was great placement, by the way, Erin. You did a fantastic job of dropping that in there. (laughs) You're an old pro, obviously. You know, we've seen huge changes over the past decade and a half, but really, you know, even over the past two, three, four years in in ways that content is made and distributed. How do you and the team sort of figure out ways to be, I guess, thoughtfully connected to how content is now being created and the ways in which it is being distributed. So when kind of when Norm sold his business to Ben is when we started working on House of Cards. That was the very first project that we worked on that was Netflix owned. And we really started to pivot our strategy to working with producers. As producers were leaving linear networks and kind of going off on their own, we always encourage our clients to look at the content. Like, what is the content telling you? Who's behind the camera? Who's in front of the camera? Because the power of who's behind the camera no matter where it lands, will make it great. So even Hulu originals, or we, we've done a lot on HBO Max originals because we know who's creating it. And yep. it does, distribution has become less of an importance to our clients because they want to be a part of that cultural moment. And that is becoming far more important than the distribution channel. And as content becomes 
more, you know, decentralized, we have to look at where the content opportunity is and how the brand fits in that versus the distribution channel. Yeah. Do you have, you know, creators or folks in the business that sort of wake up one morning and they're like, hey, you know, we've got to try to do something for Quibi or we've got to try to do something for Snap or... Do they ever think that way out or is it sort of, hey, I have an idea to make a story and let's try to figure out what that looks like and then we'll figure out where to distribute it? Typically, it's I want to make a story and what is the platform that's going to enable that story to be best told? So Netflix, to me, is a platform for everyone, right? We can That algorithm might push out a certain set of content to you and a very specific set of content to me, typically rom-coms and crap like that. (laughs) But, you know, Apple TV or Apple Plus is all very like high caliber, very curated content and Disney Plus, very family focused. So depending on what content you're creating is where you'll want to find your distribution partner. Yeah, as I sort of look at my own habits, which is all I have to go on here, I've definitely gotten... I start off very kind of wed to Netflix and I've definitely gotten more sort of fractionalized across different platforms. But one of the things that comes out of that is, you know, as a, as a viewer, yes, it's lovely and it's self-directed and whatever, but it's also more of a chore, right? Like the, the whole, you know, sort of conceit of how long have we been scrolling through the menu of Netflix looking for something to watch? And, you know, my wife being like, it's 18 and a half minutes. Quite literally, that's how long we've been doing this. How much of a problem is that? And do you guys or do creators talk about that at all? Like discovery is such a big thing. What do you do to try to tackle that? It is a big thing. And that's where the challenges will come with how many views a piece of content will get moving forward. I think you're going to see more content curated for a specific type of viewer. And you're going to see with that, you're going to see content have less and less views. And you're going to really rely on marketing and word of mouth to get your content, you know, brought up to the top of the list. What I... I'm hoping will happen and we kind of see it with like Amazons and Apple TVs and things like that, where you have the aggregate and you can search at the top for something and the algorithm will then deliver you like content from there. I think that's hopefully where the technology will go as we see more platforms is you have that aggregate of all the content across your platforms that will then have an algorithm that delivers what you're looking for and what you're watching. And then I always ask my team, what's good? (laughs) Tell me what, tell me what you're watching. (laughs) Tell me what you're watching. Yeah. You mentioned AI earlier. Is there a specific partner platform that you're using there to power it or is it, you know, homegrown or how does that work? It is homegrown. So we have created AI algorithms, uh, deep learning neural networks that are all focused around the entertainment community. And right now we're very focused on predictive analytics. So as clients think about what content they should be in, we take the human bias and the subjectivity out of it and really allow the AI to help inform what is going to be a successful piece of content. Yeah. Are we in a, you know, obviously, and this is, you know, this whole pod's about dating me. So this is great. Like how old can we make Robert sound? But in the old days, you know, they used to have a studio network in Hollywood. It had a certain way that it operated and sort of studios had the power. And then for a while, sort of it transitioned into sort of stars, quote unquote, having the power. 
And now it sort of feels like it's transitioned, and maybe I'm wrong, into a situation in which it's the creators themselves, the makers of the stories, the producers of the stories that are sort of the locus of the power. Is that a fair observation or is this just some clown from New Jersey making it up? No, you are right on the money. And I think Netflix really empowered that to happen. You know, empowering creators to tell their stories however they wanted to and not putting the restrictions that maybe networks were doing in the past. You've seen the flood of great producers from networks coming over to now all of the platforms, not just Netflix, um, but you have your Shonda Rhimes of the world and, and producers like that that are leaving linear television and coming over to the platforms because they have the creative control and they're empowered to tell their stories the way that they want the story yeah. to be. Yeah. Let's change gears and talk about brands a little bit. What makes a successful partnership with the brand? In our industry, going all in. We have a lot of clients that are like, oh, I really want to be, product placement's so cool. And I really want to try this, but I want to do a test campaign. But, you know, it takes, especially when we're dropping a Netflix or an Amazon is dropping 10 hours of content at one time you're looking at a year before you're going to see that result. So you really need to look at this as a long-term play, investing in the community and really driving success because it's going to take time to displace. Microsoft took, you know, when Surface launched, it took about a year to two years to start to displace Apple across content. And so you really need to invest in it long-term and think of this as a long-term strategy. And who make the best clients? (laughs) You don't have to mention anybody specifically, but who who does it the best? You know, it was it's funny because you could say like the big players, like the auto manufacturers and tech companies, but some of our great clients are are home security systems and app based opportunities. It's clients that want to be a part of telling that story and. When you go to a creator and you talk to them about what the client is doing and the creator then comes back to you and has a brilliant opportunity that you wouldn't even think it wasn't scripted. It's all about reading between the lines, right? So let's say, for example, Zillow, you have home buying opportunities within this piece of content. You can start to weave in the opportunity for Zillow. And those are some of our best integrations that we've delivered is just dropping the name Zillow into content in a very natural and organic way. In an organic way. So what brands, I'm assuming you're going to mention a couple of clients here, are doing sort of the the best work in this space at the moment? Do you have sort of examples where you're like, ooh, that's a really good one? Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting year, specifically as it relates to social justice. And we have, and we can kind of talk about this a little bit, but we talk a lot about art imitating life, but the reality is in content, art doesn't really imitate life and it's time for it to do so. We need more diverse spaces within content, behind the camera. And General Motors has done such an incredible job of really, and Microsoft actually, empowering those underrepresented creators and Mm -hmm. actors and actresses to help tell those storylines so that, you know, Black Americans and Hispanic Americans are all able to see their own faces on content, which they haven't really at a mass scale over the course of the last 40 years. Yeah, I would imagine that this is a very active discussion right now for you all and and clients is, you know, how do we find ways in which 
better representation of what America is mm-hmm. uh, and looks like can appear on our on our various screens. What more can be done, I guess, to drive that progress? Is there something that you're sort of like, when we get here, we will know we're really getting somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's the analysis of, there's a lot of industry research around female representation behind the camera. So I believe it's like 14% of directors and producers are actually women, people of color, whatever that looks like. It's just very small percentages. So as we see those things increase, we're at least making progress. But for us on our side, making sure that brands are supporting those creators early on and helping tell those stories that might not get told without the support of brand dollars. One of the things that we as an industry you're talking a lot about is this idea of trust and there's a lot of different facets to it. Obviously for the social platforms, you know, there is a material issue, you know, different levels of acuteness, but a material issue with trust on those platforms and whether what they are, you know, algorithmically sharing is true and accurate and authentic. And and in, you know, frankly, in the best interests of the social discourse, Uh What is the corollary in your area of the business to that concern? Is it, you know, partnering with distribution that is sort of going in the right direction? Is it, you know, the topic we were just talking about as it relates to minority opportunity and representation, both, you know, in front of and behind the camera? Like, what is the sort of manifestation of the trust issue that you guys are most worried about? Yeah, I think when when a lot of the platform conversations came up about trust, the unique opportunity we have is working with creators directly and putting our trust in them. And I think that's where AI also comes into play, understanding bot percentages and the trust aspect of what I'm paying for is actually what I'm getting mm-hmm. on that side of the business. And then from product placement, I think the trust challenge we have is really more about the process and understanding that this is a creative process and we have to have trust in each other, in the brand, in in the creator, and not always will an opportunity come to fruition because it's not going to be the right opportunity. And that is the element of trust that we're always focused on driving is being good partners and trusting each other. It becomes less of a challenge for us, I think, from a platform perspective, because we are working with producers and finding the right creators to tell the right story. Um, But again, also empowering the right creators and making sure that the brand is doing the best job they can to tell more diverse stories. If a brand is thinking about trying to get involved, right? Mm -hmm. They're interested. They're like, oh, wow, it feels like something exciting could happen. And again, Obviously, we're in a weird scenario in which, you know, budgets are down and, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking as expansively maybe as they normally should. But frankly, they should because if not now, when, right? I mean, what advice would you have for them to try or get started? This is an interesting question because as our model has really evolved, we've had so many clients three years ago, every client came to me and said, I want to be in Stranger Things. Well, if I put every client (laughs) into Stranger Things, you know, we would never have a successful business. And so what we've really focused on is, again, kind of scouring the landscape and Mm -hmm. we we kind of call this our North Star, but the consensus triangle, finding creators that want to help tell your story. If they don't want to tell the story, then don't work with them because it's going to be bad. The consumer is going to hate what you do if you're force-fitting an opportunity. And so we always try and just empower this like creative vision to 
kind of cast a wide net, identify creators that want to work with you, and that will be the most impactful story that we can tell. Right. Don't fall in love with a name. Mm -hmm. That name may not be interested in your story. Exactly. Fall in love with somebody who's like, hey, you know, I used to eat Eggo waffles when I was growing up. I'm all over it. Just to pick a name out of a hat. (laughs) When you look at sort of what comes next, you know, obviously you've got a heavy technology bent in the business now that probably wasn't necessarily foreseeable even, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. What's the next big addition or the next big transitional moment for your business? Yeah, I think it's going to be the continued growth of our technology. So finding brand challenges and understanding how AI can help be a solution in this space. And the other piece for us specifically is measurement. Product placement has always been somewhat of a vanity play. I want to be cool and part of culture, but there is potential attribution as well. And so we're really investing on what data partners we can work with to identify that attribution that product placement is actually driving for a brand so that the investment doesn't become at risk during a recession or you know any of those moments in time that a brand has to question their dollars, that there is an element of success to what we're doing in addition to my CEO being really happy that I was on XYZ show. Right, 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 right. So that is a wonderful segue into one of my questions, which is around measurement and outcomes. Mm -hmm. What are the kinds of things that you're helping clients focus on the most right now in terms of outcomes? For product placement, we're really focused on top of the funnel, identifying brand lift, brand consideration, improving those metrics, and then what our cost per impression impact is. But really what we want to evolve to and what we're working towards with some of our brands is understanding that attribution model and understanding how integrations are actually driving purchase and the action that that consumers are taking based on viewing viewing your brand within content. So partner like Netflix, obviously, which is, you know, they are architecting whether the background of their promotion to me of Tiger King should be, you know, pink or blue or red, right? Like, I mean, they're, you know, fairly advanced in, in that area. How do they partner? What kinds of things are they doing on your behalf, your client's behalf to help get at some of that direct accountability? Honestly, the the platforms haven't done much in that space Mm. as of yet. That is something that we are working on on our own. Okay. And with third-party data partners to actually help drive that forward. Random question. I personally believe that, you know, the over-under on Netflix accepting advertising is 24 months. Now, I have been wrong. I'll be the first one to admit that I've been wrong, but I still maintain that it's coming because monetization is monetization. Do you have a gut feeling on this? Just an opinion. You don't have to like, we're not going to write it in blood, maybe cement. But My opinion is they were the leaders of driving consumer habit change. And if they do bring in advertising, I assume that they would still have a incremental investment for new advertising, much like Hulu. The surveys that we've done, because we've done a lot of research in this space, say that about 30% of Netflix subscribers would actually cancel their subscription if they brought in advertising. Who knows what's true, what's not true. But I mean, personally, I would just assume, yes, there is a monetization element and that is going to be the challenge for them. So we'll see. 
with new competitive entrants. I mean, it, it's certainly on the table at some point in time, you know, push comes to shove. Yeah. Here's my view on the 30% as someone who's worked in marketing for a really long time. What people tell you in a survey about the action oh, take and what actually happens are two totally different things. Absolutely. I wouldn't give out my Netflix, but I would pay $7 more a month so that it didn't have to watch it. You know what? I would too. Mm-hmm. So win-win. Yeah. What's the one thing people in our industry aren't talking about right now that they should? This kind of ties back to what I was talking about with our imitating life. I think we are in a dire need and a kind of a breaking point for content to become more representative. And this is something that we are putting a big focus on. Netflix has made a big stance about, you know, making guarantees that people of color will represent X amount of their staff or things of that nature. But I think this needs to become an industry standard across the entertainment landscape in particular, because it is important to give a worldwide perspective of cultural norms and what life really represents. Sure. As opposed to it's an annual conversation held around the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Did that sound cynical? I'm sorry, Aaron. Sometimes I get cynical. <laughs> a last question. And then we're going to do the lightning round. So that, I mean, that's something to look forward to if ever you've heard it. Yeah. Right. Why do you love this business? I love content. I love, love, love content. They, I could watch TV all day and be completely fine in life. <laughs> so I love the fact that I can help content get created by bringing brands to the table. Yep. That's a great answer. All right. Are you ready for the lightning round? This is, in theory, short answers to short questions. Okay. All right. I am notoriously bad with the short questions. We'll see if I can do this. Favorite current digital experience? Insomniac on Twitch. Yeah, this is going to be good. Favorite piece of content recently consumed any platform, could be a book, could be a medium post, like this is as broad as you want it. Little fires everywhere, knocked my socks off. Loved it. Favorite social platform? Uh, Instagram. You know, here's my favorite thing. We get, I would say Instagram is the leader going away. We've done, I don't know, 86 of these things now. And I would say, Jason, would you agree? Something like, Instagram is absolutely the the global leader in the answer to that question, but it's always answered the same way. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's a little basic, so it's, literally like, it's embarrassing. Uh, Instagram, like like this begrudging, I don't want to say it out loud. You know, they're owned by you know a, a difficult organization, but uh, Instagram. Yeah. Nobody says Facebook, by the way. I don't think we've had anybody say Facebook in in eighty some odd episodes. All-time favorite band or song? Like, and let me put it in context. The seminal, when you were a teenager, like most important band or song? The Eagles, Take It Easy. (laughs) I've seen them in concert the last three years in a row. It's been amazing. (laughs) I... That I did not see coming. That I did not see coming. I've even uh, stood on the corner of Winslow, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went there, that's what happened? <laughs> now, yep. did, you, did you put that on your Insta story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think stories existed, but my dad and I stood there. and That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. A Hotel California, up or down for you as a song? Oh, The Eagles is my uh, life soundtrack. So my brother went to Cal State Channel Islands, which is what Hotel California is all about. Yep. So yeah, love it. That's amazing. 
This is why this is 99% of my job satisfaction, Jason, doing this podcast. Favorite product placement ever. Like the best. Doesn't have to be one of your own, but the best. Well, I'm going to make it one of my own because well, I, I was figured you would very early in my career, but I did Zombieland and the hostess integrations. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Zombieland yep, and sure. the Twinkie integrations, but I did that whole thing and it was the most fun trying to convince like a very conservative brand that sucking the, the cream and calling it bone marrow was okay. That's awesome. That is so good. I'm going to tell you mine because my mom worked for almost 30 years at Hershey Chocolate Company. I'm from Hershey, Pennsylvania. And she worked in inventory and packaging and inventory control. And so she would work with the marketing department to make all these crazy like promotions in the summer and Easter and Halloween and whatnot. And so she got to work a little bit on the Reese's Pieces were in ET. And so that was like, and at the time, nobody had really done that. Like in Reese's Pieces, nobody People were like, what is that, right? And then after that movie, it was huge. It's the first product placement that like people really, really remember. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kudos to the Hershey Chocolate Company. Best career advice given or received? Best career advice received is probably stand in your space. Mm. Don't get pushed around. Mm. Stand in your space. When you have strong ideals, own them. Yeah, hold your ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. All right. Are you ready? Last one. Yep. It's amazing how fast time flies. This has been amazing. So I'm upset. This is so fun. All... Thank I you know. for I'm, having I'm me. Sad. I'm sad we're almost done. I'll draw it out. Don't worry. Thing people should know about you, but they don't. Oh. <laughs> I hate bananas. I hate, hate, hate bananas. And I, the smell of them grosses me out. So if you don't know that about me, don't get a banana near me. Don't like Got it. Got it. Okay. That I'm going to keep in mind, Aaron, because I, I, I do like bananas. They're one of my, like, I don't love a lot of fruit, but I like bananas on the list. But you're anti-banana from the jump. Oh, just the smell of it. Just, ugh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Aaron, you were magnificent. Thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Would you come back? Absolutely. All right. We're definitely going to have you back. Please take care of yourself with everything crazy that's going out there on the West Coast. Be safe and uh, we will will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please do subscribe. Smash that subscription button, Jace, and give us a like or a comment. We certainly do love all of those. Remember, be well, be just, and we'll be back to you next week. Bye-bye.